This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, January 4th. You're listening to WNBF. A busy route between Endwell and Johnson City will be closed to traffic for a short time to allow demolition crews to take down an IBM Country Club pedestrian bridge. The walkway over Watson Boulevard in the town of Union was used by people to safely cross the street between the main country club complex and athletic facilities next to the Route 17 Expressway. Project Superintendent John Kerry said planning for the bridge removal operation is being finalized. He said the tentative date for the work is January 18th. Town of Union representatives have been involved in planning for the detour that will be needed to take the walkway down. Kerry said the work is expected to take part of a day to complete. Investigators are working to determine the cause of a fire that raced through a three-story house in Johnson City. The New Year's Day blaze at 1012 Dartmouth Street was reported shortly before 6 p.m. Several people called to report the fire in the three-family building located west of Massachusetts Avenue. According to Johnson City Fire Marshal Bob Blakesley, the first units on the scene encountered heavy fire engulfing the rear portion of the structure. Firefighters searched the burning house and determined no one was inside. A second alarm was called by the incident commander as the blaze started to extend to three neighboring buildings. Off-duty village firefighters and a Binghamton Fire Department unit responded to the scene. The fire was brought under control after about two hours. Firefighters stayed at the scene for several more hours to fully extinguish the blaze. Although no serious injuries were, were reported to residents or firefighters, several dogs died in the blaze. Xiao King Zhang, age 59 of Niskiyun, New York, was sentenced to 24 months in prison for conspiring to steal General Electric trade secrets, knowing or intending to benefit the People's Republic of China. United States Attorney Carla B. Friedman stated Zhang sought to enrich himself and benefit the People's Republic of China by stealing trade secrets developed and owned by his longtime employer, General Electric. We will continue to work with the FBI to hold criminals accountable when they seek to illegally exploit American ingenuity. Zhang was convicted of conspiracy to commit economic espionage following a four-week jury trial that ended on March 31, 2022. The jury either acquitted Zhang or could not reach a unanimous verdict as to 11 other charged counts. Zhang was employed at GE Power in Schenectady, New York, as an engineer specializing in turbine sealing technology. He worked at GE from 2008 until the summer of 2018. The trial evidence demonstrated that Zhang and others in China conspired to steal GE's trade secrets surrounding GE's ground-based and aviation-based turbine technologies, knowing or intending to benefit the People's Republic of China and one or more foreign instrumentalities, including China-based companies and universities that research development and manufacture parts for turbines. On December 28th, officers from the Cortland County Sheriff's Office were called to Star Road in the town of Cortlandville to investigate a suspicious activity complaint. During the investigation, officers discovered that a reported stolen vehicle from the state of Pennsylvania had ran out of fuel, that the occupants of the stolen vehicle left the area and left the stolen vehicle in a driveway on Star Road. Through a collaborative investigation between the Cortland County Sheriff's Office and the Pittstown Township Police Department in Pennsylvania, it was found that the defendant, David E. Thomas, had stolen the vehicle from a residence in Pittston, Pennsylvania before coming to New York with it. Mr. Thomas was later located on January 1st 
through an unrelated investigation. Mr. Thomas was arrested for warrants he had for possession of the stolen vehicle. He was transported to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and issued an appearance ticket. Mr. Thomas was then turned over to Tompkins County Sheriff's Office for a warrant he had out of their agency. Mr. Thomas is scheduled for his initial court appearance in the town of Virgil Court on January 24th to answer the charge of criminal possession of stolen property in the fourth degree. The NFL and its fans are rallying in support of Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin, who remains in critical condition at a Cincinnati hospital after going into cardiac arrest on the field. Players and coaches from around the league were overcome with emotion while watching Hamlin be resuscitated back to life Monday night during Buffalo's game at Cincinnati. Hamlin's uncle, Dorian Glenn, told CNN that his nephew had to have his heart restarted twice, once on the field and once at the hospital. Glenn said there were some encouraging signs Tuesday, including doctors reducing the amount of oxygen Hamlin was receiving. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty in Manhattan federal court to charges that he cheated investors and looted customer deposits on his cryptocurrency trading platform. Bankman-Fried entered the plea Tuesday in his first appearance before a judge who sent a tentative trial date of October 2nd. He is accused of defrauding investors by illegally diverting massive sums of customer money from FTX to make lavish real estate purchases, donate money to politicians, and make risky trades at Almeida Research. His cryptocurrency hedge fund trading firm. Bankman-Fried was released from custody with electronic monitoring two weeks ago to await trial at his parents' house in Palo Alto, California. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, showers mainly after 3 p.m., some patchy fog after 3 p.m., a high near 58 degrees, chance of rain 90%. Tonight, showers before 1 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 4 a.m., patchy fog before midnight, a low near 44 degrees, 90% chance of rain. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 50. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of showers after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low near 35 degrees, 20% chance of rain. And Friday, a chance of showers, mostly cloudy, with a high near 40, chance of rain 40%. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 31 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph, on a Wednesday morning, January 4th, 2023, we are underway. 607-772-1290. If you have thoughts, by all means, share them. 607-772-1290 at News Radio WNBF. In a crowd city Another big day for dancing with mild January temperatures. I think it's almost spring. Feels like spring. Don't worry. <laughs> Winter will return with a vengeance at some point, but we haven't arrived at that point yet. When we do, of course, we will certainly be pleased to 
alert the media. Yes, <laughs> we will alert the media when winter returns. Because it will. You know it will. Well, we will talk about a bunch of things today. A bunch of things. By the way, just uh, took a, a stroll. Wouldn't think I'd be out taking a stroll on the fourth day of a new year. But I was uh, heading from Binghamton's legendary south side into its delightful downtown district. And... Uh, just posted that uh, little stroll. It's about a two-minute adventure and video and fun. A little bit of fog thrown in as well. Uh, that's on uh, Twitter, at Binghamton Now. So if you'd like to see my little stroll in a snow-free Binghamton, New York, and then send it to your friends, because your friends will certainly appreciate it. <laughs> Especially if your friends are in Florida or in Buffalo. Yeah, your friends will appreciate it. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? I'm uh, John from Broome County. Well, hi, John from Broome County. Good to hear you. What's up? Well, uh, speaking of Santos, uh, you know, we've had candidates here for public office where things have been held back. Common, There's been, uh, for example, let's take our district attorney now that it's the matter has been resolved. Our former district attorney, Steve Cornwell. Now, uh, that story about him having a tussle with, I believe, the Endicott Police Department uh, was out there. That was out there for the picking. Uh, now, uh, he was relatively young. Uh, it was pled down to a misdemeanor whether or not that would have been the deciding factor and given us four more years of Jerry Mullen, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows that. Uh, but it's a tougher slog when you're running for district attorney to have a crime, even a misdemeanor, against you, especially assaulting police officers, uh, than it is any other type of infraction. Now, the real question with Cornwall, and what we don't know about him is, did he list this on his bar application? We don't know that. Well, that's interesting. By the way, as you may have heard, I I was uh, away for a few days. Did anybody interview him yet? Because I, I would love to have Steve Cornwell on the program someday. I don't know that he no. wishes to participate, but you never know. Um, but did anybody interview him with you know, from the newspaper or from uh, radio or TV? No. Uh, nobody is doing anything uh, in that regard around here anymore except you, maybe Jim Emke, but uh, the rest just don't have the institutional knowledge. Uh, you've, you've got a better shot running a potluck supper for the homeless uh, and getting uh, news attention than you do about anything that matters, consequence around here. That's just the way it is. And, you know, let's look at uh, the other district attorney candidate, uh, Paul Battisti, a $70,000 IRS problem on the public record. And he was acting for a time until uh, that it didn't exist. 
We can look at Debbie Preston. Uh, when she was inaugurated county executive, I put a camera in her face January 1. She was coming out of the county office building. I said, have you ever been in trouble with the law? And she came at me <clears throat> like a boa constrictor uh, with County Clerk Rick Blythe blocking my camera shot. Uh, to, to, to unravel that, you'd have to know Debbie Preston's maiden name. Uh, you had the case of Donna Lepardo for decades, and she, to her credit, she finally stopped doing it for a decade or more. I'm a mental health professional. Now, to me, that means a, a psychiatric license, psychology license, or psychiatric uh, MD uh, license. Uh, yet she touted herself as being a, a mental health professional. So finally, she stopped doing it. Let's get back to these three candidates for Binghamton mayor that erroneously referred to themselves as deputy mayor, a complete fabrication, a complete position that doesn't exist. Finally, Megan Heilman, after I wrote the bond council saying, hey, you know, you've got prospectuses out here with a deputy mayor position that doesn't exist, uh, finally stopped doing it. Uh, we had this guy on Vestal Town Council. He's an ad man, and he sent out these rather vague proclamations during the campaign that he's worked with everybody under the sun. You know, he's worse than George Santos. This guy, this guy's worked with everybody, but he doesn't say exactly what he worked on. Right. Well, I mean, the, the bottom line is, bottom line is, I think, whether it's local candidates here in the Binghamton area or statewide candidates for uh, office in Albany or Harrisburg or wherever, or candidates for, for Congress or whatever. They they always must be vetted and vetted completely by the media. And, and the sad thing is, John, the instances that you have noted happened during a better time when the media when the media was actually in, in relatively good shape. Look at it. You know, look at the media now. I mean, the media is decimated. Uh, well, and soon there will be no reporters left in New York State. I heard well, that that there's a plan to uh, de-staff all newsrooms, defund journalism. Well, that's the it, plan. According, uh, I I can't tell you who told me, but that's the plan. By 2035, not only will we have all electric vehicles in New York State, but we'll have no newsrooms left. The news well, the up- newsroom, well, one newsroom will be the New York Times, but by then they'll have uh, moved it to Connecticut next to ESPN. Well, the upstate television market and uh, radio market is uh, very, very lucrative for the owners of the of the broadcast franchises because look at look at the tens of millions of dollars that have passed through uh, with the congressional races. Uh, and uh, well, that's you know, the, the thing is, I mean, it's not a secret. Although you won't hear it reported on on most TV stations, local TV stations or TV networks, but uh, any TV company that owns uh, lots of stations will always acknowledge, and to an extent radio stations too, but not as much, but TV stations always acknowledge how important political ad revenue is, and it's critical. It's critical, and I think sometimes that, uh, sadly, has an impact on, on how things are covered. Appreciate the observations. Thank you very much, John. From Binghamton, it's 919. We're live and local. Bob Joseph on a Wednesday. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming on WNBF.com. Individual.
I'm Bob Joseph. It's 922 on News Radio WNBF. Broom County Sheriff Fred Akshar joins us now in the studio. Congratulations. Welcome to our station. First time as Sheriff of Broom County. Bob, great to be back with you. It's been some time since uh, we've been together uh, to have a conversation, but uh, nonetheless, I hope this is uh, the first of many. I expect it will be. Uh, now, tell me what it's been like over the last few days. You were officially sworn in to take charge of the, the sheriff's office, I believe, uh, probably officially at 12.01 a.m. January 1st. Uh, I was not paying attention. Did you have your formal swearing-in ceremony on New Year's Day? Yeah, we did a joint uh, joint ceremony with uh, members of the Broome County Legislature, uh, the new uh, members there. So uh, both myself uh, and the undersheriff, along with uh, the members of the legislature, were sworn in. We were uh, blessed to have uh, uh, the Honorable uh, Judge Colley uh, swear all of us in. So nice ceremony. There were about 400 people there. So uh, just an, an immense feeling of, of, of gratitude um, to the people of Broome County for putting their faith and trust in us uh, to lead the agency. Does it feel different being sheriff as opposed to having been state senator for the last few years? Does it feel different, the transition? You know, the transition went well. Sheriff Harder was uh, very helpful with respect to the transition uh, between Election Day uh, and, of course, uh, January 1st. So, you know, we had many meetings and, um, you know, lots of good conversation about uh, where he was with respect to to, to projects and where the agency was. Uh, So that transition went well. Um, You know, there is a there is a significant difference uh, between being a member of the legislature uh, and now being sworn as uh, Broome County's 58th uh, sheriff. Both jobs are incredibly important, uh, but as you well know, uh, being the sheriff of this county, uh, there's an immense amount of responsibility that goes along with that job uh, and people's um, people's well-being, their safety, and their lives in some instances uh, rests on your shoulders. So, you know, the job is is completely different. Uh, so there is, at least from my perspective, um, a noticeable difference between serving in both of those capacities. As most people are aware, you, of course, had experience with the Broome County Sheriff's Office before you were elected to the state Senate. Yeah, so I had the good fortune, uh, as you well know, and, and many others do, uh, of serving for 15 years as a member of law enforcement. Uh, and then, you know, clearly I spent the last seven years as a member of the state legislature. So, you know, as I said uh, on the campaign trail and as I've said, you know, many times in the past, uh, I think both of those experiences have helped me prepare myself uh, to lead the agency uh, today. What changes have you already made? Uh, you've already made some announcements. Uh, of course, you also officially announced uh, your undersheriff, although it had become, I think, somewhat common knowledge who you were uh, going to have as, as undersheriff. But tell about, uh, uh, at least in the early stages, the, the Broome County Sheriff's Office as it begins the Akshar era. You know, the greatest change I think we've made on day one is we're empowering the men and women who work there. Uh, We're empowering uh, the deputies and the detectives, uh, the supervisors to go and do their jobs uh, and not micromanage them. I was reminded very quickly uh, on my first day in office, just a few short hours after being sworn in, uh, that that agency is filled with dedicated men and women uh, who work selflessly uh, and tirelessly every day to leave this community a little bit better uh, than they found it. So that probably is is the greatest change we've made in the first few short days is just um, reminding the employees who work there that uh, the undersheriff and I uh, trust them. 
Uh, we recognize that they are very capable, dedicated employees, and uh, it is our intention to empower them to be able to do the job that they were sworn to do and not micromanage their every move. Um, secondly, uh, you know, I have made the decision to not make any significant and sweeping policy changes uh, in the first couple of weeks. What we're doing this week, Bob, is uh, we're hosting uh, a series of what we're calling commander calls. Uh, so this is an opportunity for me. Uh, as you well know, there are some 300 employees at the office of the sheriff. This is an opportunity for me to introduce uh, my new administrative team, uh, including the undersheriff, uh, to all of the employees, both uh, sworn and civilian, uh, opportunity for us to set expectation, and then, of course, uh, for us to take questions uh, that the staff may have. So uh, we're in the second day of those calls. They're going, uh, they're going well. We're getting a lot of good feedback from the men and women. Uh, we'll continue to do them for the balance of the week. Uh, and we continue uh, today to meet with uh, the command staff in the correctional facility. When it comes to law enforcement, whether it's the sheriff's office or local police agencies, there's always talk about morale and the ability to retain people who've been hired. A lot of effort goes into recruiting. A lot of effort goes into training law enforcement personnel. And what we see in many cases with a lot of police agencies, they wind up losing people um, sooner than most people would expect. What steps can you take to improve morale, both with, uh, say, the deputies who are part of Highway Patrol, people who staff the uh, uh, jail, the Broome County Correctional Facility, and the other departments in the sheriff's office to try to keep people on longer and, and try to make it less likely they'll be looking for greener pastures? I think this issue of retention uh, is really is twofold, right? You have uh, you have had significant uh, issues take place over the course of the last few years that have adversely impacted uh, law enforcement, corrections, public safety, frankly, uh, just as a profession, right? So we have to deal with those issues, uh, and they're national issues. Uh, they are conversations that must be had, and I think. Um, you know, providing appropriate leadership in addressing many of those issues that have been raised throughout the course of the last few years and how those issues need to be um, addressed and solved and then how we are communicating that to the men and women who do the job, number one, is very important. Uh, number two, and uh, to your question, I got this question this morning at our first commander's call. It was very specific about retention. Uh, and for us, when I say us, I mean the undersheriff and I and the new administrative team, uh, this is about creating uh, a new culture. It's about creating a new environment uh, in which the men and women of the office of the sheriff, regardless of the color of their uniform or their respective responsibilities, understand that this administration is here to support them. This administration is here to provide uh, every opportunity for uh, our employees to be successful both inside and outside of work. And success is different for everyone, right? Uh, the way you view success may be completely different than the way I view success. But it is, in fact, um, the undersheriff and my job and the undersheriff's job to create an environment, to create an atmosphere in which our employees can be successful. And that is our commitment uh, to the employees, number one, um, with respect to wanting to create an environment in which we retain them. But also, if you think about this issue as you raise it, 
it in fact has a direct impact on public safety. Um, if employees are not happy, if they're not working to the, their, the best of their ability, um, then I think that that can negatively impact uh, public safety for the community. So that's why we're so committed to uh, addressing the issue. A lot of times people say they, they love feeling appreciated. They, uh, they certainly um, are grateful for acknowledgement when their supervisors um, acknowledge good work. But uh, many times I hear, well, if you really like us, give us more money. A lot of times in, that can be a factor in, in retaining people and also a factor in, in morale. Sometimes it does come down to money as far as what people in the sheriff's office, various positions that are in the Broome County Sheriff's Office are now being compensated. In your view, is it sufficient? Well, look, I think it's uh, we are open to continuing our conversation with the uh organized labor groups at the office of the sheriff. Uh, I will say that I do believe that uh, both the law enforcement division as well as the corrections division uh, have done a good job uh, negotiating their uh, respective collective bargaining agreements. I will say um, that uh, the civilian employees, CSEA members, uh, there is much work to do there. Uh, there are civilian staff members that, as far as I'm concerned, uh, are not being compensated commensurate with the work that they're doing. It's something that we're looking into. Uh, it's something that we will be advocating for uh, in the next uh, round of budget cycles. Um, but I view my role as the sheriff uh with respect to compensation twofold, right? It is important that we are being responsible with the taxpayer dollars uh, that we are acquiring to operate our budget. The budget, the office of the sheriff is, uh, it's big, it's $42 million. Um, so we need to make sure that that money is being spent uh, appropriately and accordingly. Uh, but you in fact have to pay your staff. But I will say that uh, in both corrections and law enforcement, um, the, those respective union delegations have done a good job um, negotiating their, their bargaining agreements. It's 931 News Radio, WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph, speaking with Broome County Sheriff Fred Akshar, who's with us in the studio on this Wednesday morning. In terms of unfilled positions, how many unfilled positions currently exist within the sheriff's office? So in the law enforcement division, uh, there are two openings. Uh, there is not a recruitment issue. Uh, with respect to law enforcement, uh, we are, um, in essence, fully staffed with exception of what I just said. Uh, we have no issue filling those. We're just waiting for uh, the next academy uh, to come to fruition. Uh, corrections, of course, is a completely different story. Uh, it's an issue that we campaigned on very hard. Uh, there's a, We're in the midst of a staffing crisis in corrections. So we're looking to uh, correct that uh, as quickly as humanly possible. Sadly, uh, there are only six candidates uh, who took the civil service exam uh, this last cycle. So we are uh, on day one. Um, we hired, of course, um, someone to be our um, director of a community engagement and recruitment. So we are um, doing specific outreach to these six candidates to make sure that we're giving them everything that they need uh, to be successful throughout the process. Uh, the undersheriff and I are in um, discussions with uh, county officials uh, and the union delegation from corrections to create a financial incentive program to allow uh, lateral transfers uh 
corrections officers who are already trained uh, and certified anywhere in the state of New York uh, to be able to transfer into the Broome County Sheriff's Office. So currently uh, a conversation that we're having, we're trying to address this issue kind of on parallel tracks, right? We want to recruit people to take the civil service exam, but I also want to use uh, the means that I have available to me, think globally and outside the box in creating a new program to be able to attract folks uh, into the agency. Is there, because of lack of um, um, people to fill those empty positions, is that creating a potential safety problem within the jail, uh, scheduling problems? Tell me what actual impact that has on a a day-to-day basis. It's having significant uh, net negative impacts uh, on the facility um, but equally as important is it's having a, a negative impact on the men and women who are serving. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the night shift, uh, three out of their four-day rotations, uh, they'll be held over for four or eight hours. So um, as you well know, uh, I am a husband, I am a father, and uh, I know how important my family is to me. Uh, and the fact that you have employees that don't get to go home and see their husbands or wives or their children, uh, you know, that leaves uh, that leaves an impact in your mind. Um, and all the more reason that we have to double down on our effort with respect uh, to addressing the issue. So not only is it impacting you know the men and women who are currently serving there and putting an undue burden and stress on them, which they don't deserve, it's also having a net negative impact on my ability to perform certain functions, whether it be ensuring that the incarcerated individual gets to a doctor's appointment uh, or a court appointment uh, or ha- has access to programming, which are, is currently non-existent, or as was discussed during the campaign, as has been discussed in many different forums, um, loved ones' inability to go and see uh, their family members who find themselves incarcerated. Uh, So this afternoon, or or excuse me, later this morning, we'll be meeting with the command staff um, at the jail. uh, And my message to them is going to be very clear. I'll go back to the table, uh, and by the end of the week, uh, provide me uh, with some options so we can increase visitation as I pledge to the people, and we're committed to doing that. So you're Having uh, meetings with um, with the people of the sheriff's office as you uh, get acclimated during uh, these first days, do you intend to schedule meetings with community groups? I know sometimes in the past uh, members of community organizations and some individuals have been outspoken in their concerns about the sheriff's office, and frankly, they, they felt that uh, Sheriff Harder uh, many times didn't pay close enough attention and respond to the concerns they had. Do you intend to have more of an outreach with um, community residents? I think one of the things that this community uh, came to appreciate about our service in the state Senate was that we remained open and accessible uh, and were transparent in the things that we did. I think in this particular space, in the public safety space, it's critically important for our administration uh, to remain open and to remain transparent. I will tell you that we have formed um, we have formed a committee with respect to uh, conditions in the correctional facility and reentry related issues. Specifically, there are community advocates uh, on that committee. Uh, we're meeting again tomorrow. It'll be our second meeting tomorrow evening. Um, but we remain committed to uh, speaking to whomever. Uh, even I had I had found in my time in the state legislature that you know having an, an ability or a willingness to even meet with people that you knew you were diametrically opposed to with respect to a particular issue, uh, sitting with them and at least having an open and honest conversation about their position and your position 
oftentimes served as an edification for me. Uh, helping me understand why they took such a strong position on any one given issue, uh, and I don't, I don't view that changing uh, with respect to my role as as Broome County Sheriff. So you would be willing, even people who you know might be predisposed to being very unhappy or even angry about some issues involving the sheriff's office or other aspects of law enforcement, you would be willing to sit down with them and have a conversation. I am willing to have a conversation with anyone who is willing uh, to help bring a solution to any one given issue. Uh, I think it doesn't benefit uh, a conversation, nor does it benefit a community at large, for someone to just come in and complain about something without offering a specific solution to the issue or uh, being equally as committed uh, to trying to find a collective solution to any give, given issue. So, um, listen, there are, there are uh, folks in this community, there are groups in this community that have a very uh, negative impression of the office of the sheriff. They have a very, very negative impression about uh, the Broome County Correctional Facility. And in some instances, maybe they have examples, and that's the way they feel uh, is, is rightfully so based on their, their examples uh, or specific issues. We are willing to speak to wh- whomever uh, wants to have a meaningful conversation uh, and is willing to, to find uh, solutions to issues. Are you concerned about groups or individuals who, when they discuss their concerns, come out and publicly say, these are demands. We have demands for certain changes. Is, is that an obstacle to accomplishing, ultimately, uh, things that, that might be beneficial to, um, to everybody? I think adre- uh, approaching any, any issue or any conversation um, like that, I, I think that that oftentimes stands in the way of progress. So I guess my my suggestion or what I would offer to any one given group or individual uh, that wanted to have a conversation is, you know, let us all think about the way we approach issues uh, or conversations that we're going to have with one another. Uh, I don't think taking a, a hard stand like that um, and, and not getting off on the right foot is, is good for anybody, and it's not good for the issue that we're trying to find solution for. What's the biggest thing you hope to accomplish during your first year as Broome County Sheriff? And I think, um, you know, obviously there's an immense amount of responsibility and weight on our shoulders to ensure that this community remains uh, safe and secure, number one. But I think looking at the agency just in the first few days, uh, understanding what it is that we want to accomplish with respect to reducing recidivism, uh, increasing morale, uh, creating a better culture, it really is addressing the staffing crisis that currently exists in the correctional facility uh, because it's really putting an undue burden and an undue stress uh, on not only the operation of the facility, but uh, really uh, on the men and women who work there, but also on the families that that have um, loved ones who are incarcerated. Broome County Sheriff Fred Action, we look forward to having you back on the program on a regular basis. Thanks so much. It's nine forty. Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF ninety two one FM twelve ninety AM and streaming at WNBF dot com. Are you?
843. This is Bob Joseph at News Radio WNBF 607-772-1290. If you have thoughts, I'm sure you have thoughts. We all have thoughts. Including thoughts about the weather. Give this another, I'll call it a B plus. All right, I'll give it an A minus. It's January 4th. This is not bad. Cloudy today, a few showers, but mainly in the afternoon. In the meantime, kind of a gloomy look to it, but all in all, you could be in Buffalo. Uh, patchy fog this afternoon, high 58. Although I did consult with my uh, friends in the Buffalo region, friends in Hamburg, Sandy and Gary, and they say uh, most of their snow is gone now, so... Just wait for the next blast, I suppose. Showers tonight here in the Binghamton area, low 44, partly sunny tomorrow, high 50, and mostly cloudy Friday with a chance of showers, high 40. And right now in downtown Binghamton, it's mild. Actual temperature, really hard to say. I mean, it is hard to say. I'd call Howard up during the uh, 10 o'clock news. Howard would know, I believe. I would say I'd say it's in the 50s. I'd say it's about 53. And that would be about I think that would be about 12 Celsius, give or take. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Beverly from County Dickerson. Yeah, what's up? Oh, nothing, nothing much. I was listening to Mr. Adsers presentation that was pretty interesting yeah what what was your uh what was your main takeaway from our conversation with the new broom county sheriff well i liked everything you know i but my uh, i hope that maybe he can solve the the life dispenser case i've been praying every night that they that they'll be able to solve it because you know uh, that's important. That's important because you know I have grandchildren. I have grandchildren that go to school and stuff. You know, I have one that walks to school and so forth. You know, and I just hope that he he closes the case, finds the person, and closes the case. Well, I'm sure he would make available resources of the Broome County Sheriff's Office if the Binghamton police requested. So far, I believe Binghamton police detectives are are handling the investigation themselves, and I know they're putting a lot of effort into it, but I, I certainly would, uh, would expect that Sheriff Akshar, if uh, he received a call from the Binghamton Police Chief Joseph Zakowski or anybody with the uh, City Police Detective Division, if they needed or wanted specific assistance with that investigation, I'm sure he would uh, make available the resources of the Sheriff's Office. So hopefully we'll hear some developments on that, that case soon. So I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, Bob, because, you know, that ever since that happened, you know, it bothers me every if I go out and I see a child, a child with their with their parents or something like that, you know, I stand there and pray a few minutes. Well, you know, just that case and 
and so many other cases where we lose people, regardless of age, we lose people suddenly, whether it's because of a crime or a vehicle crash or whatever. Um, it just helps to reinforce what we we need to keep in mind. Life is precious, and we can't take any anything or anyone for granted. Yeah, that's true, Bob. But, but that's one of my wish. That's one of my wishes. Okay. That the case will be solved. Well, I, I pray every night, Bob, that it will be. And I, I think we we have thousands of other people who who believe the same thing. So I appreciate your call. I hope you have a great okay. day. You too. Nine forty eight. Bob Joseph on WNBF on a Wednesday morning. It's a new year, time probably for a new car for many people. And if you want a new car, new Honda, new Hyundai, place to stop by is Miller Auto Team. Miller Auto Team. Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal, 4455 Vestal Parkway East, directly across from Binghamton University. And they'll be open this evening till 6. If you want uh, details about how you can go about getting a lovely Honda a lovely Hyundai, brand new vehicle. Stop in and chat with a trained expert on the Miller Auto Team. They'll help you. And perhaps you're looking for something used. Uh, recently owned vehicle, late model something or other. If you want to check out the used inventory at Miller Motors, go to MillerAutoTeam.com and observe some of the featured vehicles. They've got Hondas and Grand Cherokees and Santa Fe's and Tucson's. Oh, my. They have a little bit of everything. It's all for you. Miller Motors. They've been serving you for decades. They'll continue to serve you for a long time to come. Miller Motors on the Vestal Parkway. WNBF Talk Time, 949. Bob Joseph with you, taking more calls at 607-772-1290. This is News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. I never... Nine fifty-two WNBF, or as they used to say in the old days, eight minutes before the hour. The old days is in twenty twenty-two. Eight before the hour. <laughs> Stations that aren't live or local. It's eight before the hour. <laughs> With somebody broadcasting in a shack in Bangalore. Eighteen before the hour. Let's see what else is going on in the wide world of news. Kathy Hochul continuing to amaze New Yorkers with her interest in our well-being. I know she's interested in our well-being. Of course she is. That's that's why she... uh, The... um, right to repair law that was one thing that came up on tuesday's program and the fact that she signed it into law but made changes is um it's indicative it's indicative of uh, just how 
she's on your side. As the headline in the Albany Times Union put it, the New York law mandating high-tech repair options was whittled down before being signed. As uh, we touched on Tuesday morning, the New York bill was whittled down in several days of rapid-fire negotiations between the legislators who had passed it last June in the governor's office, leaving many people unhappy with the concessions they said the governor's team introduced at the 11th hour. So the thing is, it's complicated for some people, this concept of a right to repair high-tech devices like your smartphone or your laptop. People have been pushing for this type of legislation that would create a right for consumers to access replacement materials, tools, and instructions at a reasonable cost. And so it seemed that New York consumers were going to get something really, really nice for the new year with this legislation. But, of course, Kathy Hochul was not content to allow the measure to stand as it was adopted by the state legislature. Uh, One person who heads something called Repair.org, Gay Gordon Byrne, said it's not what we wanted, but it's a good start. A good start. She said that while the New York law will work for a lot of consumer products, it doesn't cover enough. And she is troubled by the late-game exclusion of equipment sold directly to businesses and governments, such as the computers and tablets bought in bulk by schools. Over the past year of heavy professional lobbying from associations like TechNet and some companies like Apple and Microsoft, and even John Deere, yeah, they make track tractors and uh, bear. I think we know what they make. The law had already seen other carve-outs ranging from medical devices to high-tech farm equipment. If you didn't know, these days, many farmers are reliant on very expensive and very sophisticated equipment for their crops and their operations. So... You know, in the end, the people, the lobbyists, and as in so many cases, kind of get what they want. I'm sure they're not happy that any part of this law was passed, but they managed to get some things changed. And so maybe in the future, maybe this year, the legislature will again act on some of these matters. The um, guy who shows up on YouTube, a right-to-repair advocate, technician Lewis Rossman, said the final law in New York is functionally useless and worse than nothing. In his video on this, he said the modifications negotiated by the governor's office meant companies would be able to continue grouping and selling parts in unaffordable assemblies, as many already do, instead of selling individual parts that might be broken. According to the governor's memo, the compromise would solve safety issues where improper installation would heighten the risk of injury. But Mr. Rossman, in his video, said grouping stems from decisions by companies, including, yes, Samsung, which is selling... Very, 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 very expensive phones made in Vietnam. 
Uh, Samsung, they use industrial adhesive to glue cell phone batteries to screens so they can only be sold as one part. So that's why. That's why. So often you find yourself in a situation where I really don't want to buy a brand new phone. I really don't need a brand new phone. But thanks to these little gimmicks by manufacturers, whether it's Samsung or Apple or some other organization, they basically force you to buy new high-tech gizmos sooner than you'd want. And thanks to Governor Hochul, they'll be able to keep doing that. To a large extent. It's 9.58. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. It's 10 o'clock at WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, January 4th. You're listening to WNBF. A busy route between Endwell and Johnson City will be closed to traffic for a short time to allow demolition crews to take down an IBM Country Club pedestrian bridge. The walkway over Watson Boulevard in the town of Union was used by people to safely cross the street between the main country club complex and athletic facilities next to the Route 17 Expressway. Project Superintendent John Kerry said planning for the bridge removal operation is being finalized. He said the tentative date for the work is January 18th. Town of Union representatives have been involved in planning for the detour that will be needed to take the walkway down. Kerry said the work is expected to take part of a day to complete. Investigators are working to determine the cause of a fire that raced through a three-story house in Johnson City. The New Year's Day blaze at 1012 Dartmouth Street was reported shortly before 6 p.m. Several people called to report the fire in the three-family building located west of Massachusetts Avenue. According to Johnson City Fire Marshal Bob Blakesley, the first units on the scene encountered heavy fire engulfing the rear portion of the structure. Firefighters searched the burning house and determined no one was inside. A second alarm was called by the incident commander as the blaze started to extend to three neighboring buildings. Off-duty village firefighters and a Binghamton Fire Department unit responded to the scene. The fire was brought under control after about two hours. Firefighters stayed at the scene for several more hours to fully extinguish the blaze. Although no serious injuries were, were reported to residents or firefighters, several dogs died in the blaze. Xiaoqing Zhang, age 59 of Niskiyuna, New York, was sentenced to 24 months in prison for conspiring to steal General Electric trade secrets, knowing or intending to benefit the People's Republic of China. United States Attorney Carla B. Friedman stated Zhang sought to enrich himself and benefit the People's Republic of China by stealing trade secrets developed and owned by his longtime employer, General Electric. We will continue to work with the FBI to hold criminals accountable when they seek to illegally exploit American ingenuity. Zhang was convicted of conspiracy conspiracy to commit economic espionage following a four-week jury trial that ended on March 31, 2022. The jury either acquitted Zhang or could not reach a unanimous verdict as to 11 other charged counts. Zhang was employed at GE Power in Schenectady, New York, as an engineer specializing in turbine sealing technology. He worked at GE from 2008 until the summer of 2018. The trial evidence demonstrated that Zhang and others in China conspired to steal GE's trade secrets surrounding GE's ground-based and aviation-based turbine technologies, knowing or intending to benefit the People's Republic of China and one or more foreign instrumentalities, including China-based companies and universities that research development and manufacture parts for turbines. 
On December 28th, officers from the Cortland County Sheriff's Office were called to Star Road in the town of Cortlandville to investigate a suspicious activity complaint. During the investigation, officers discovered that a reported stolen vehicle from the state of Pennsylvania had ran out of fuel, that the occupants of the stolen vehicle left the area and left the stolen vehicle in a driveway on Star Road. Through a collaborative investigation between the Cortland County Sheriff's Office and the Pittstown Township Police Department in Pennsylvania, it was found that the defendant, David E. Thomas, had stolen the vehicle from a residence in Pittston, Pennsylvania, before coming to New York with it. Mr. Thomas was later located on January 1st through an unrelated investigation. Mr. Thomas was arrested for warrants he had and for possession of the stolen vehicle. He was transported to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and issued an appearance ticket. Mr. Thomas was then turned over to Tompkins County Sheriff's Office for a warrant he had out of their agency. Mr. Thomas is scheduled for his initial court appearance in the town of Virgil Court on January 24th to answer the charge of criminal possession of stolen property in the fourth degree. The NFL and its fans are rallying in support of Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin, who remains in critical condition at a Cincinnati hospital after going into cardiac arrest on the field. Players and coaches from around the league were overcome with emotion while watching Hamlin be resuscitated back to life Monday night during Buffalo's game at Cincinnati. Hamlin's uncle, Dorian Glenn, told CNN that his nephew had to have his heart restarted twice, once on the field and once at the hospital. Glenn said there were some encouraging signs Tuesday, including doctors reducing the amount of oxygen Hamlin was receiving. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty in Manhattan federal court to charges that he cheated investors and looted customer deposits on his cryptocurrency trading platform. Bankman-Fried entered the plea Tuesday in his first appearance before a judge who sent a tentative trial date of October. Second, he is accused of defrauding investors by illegally diverting massive sums of customer money from FTX to make lavish real estate purchases, donate money to politicians, and make risky trades at Almeida Research, his cryptocurrency hedge fund trading firm. Bankman Freed was released from custody with electronic monitoring two weeks ago to await trial at his parents' house in Palo Alto, California. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, showers mainly after 3 p.m., some patchy fog after 3 p.m., a high near 58 degrees, chance of rain 90%. Tonight, showers before 1 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 4 a.m., patchy fog before midnight, a low near 44 degrees, 90% chance of rain. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 50. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of showers after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low near 35 degrees, 20% chance of rain. And Friday, a chance of showers, mostly cloudy, with a high near 40, chance of rain 40%. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 31 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. I'm Joseph Live on a Wednesday morning. You're listening to News Radio. WNBF. I remember the 35 sweet goodbyes when you put me on the Wolverine of Duane and Death. It was still September when your daddy was quite surprised to find you with the
I'm never, ever going back. And it's 10-11, and those who wish to test our nation's telephone system may do so now by calling 607-772-1290. Of course, dial carefully. 607-772-1290 is the number for carefree dialing. Mm-hmm. I enjoy carefree dialing uh-oh oh my gosh this just in oh my gosh well i guess it's inevitable by the way thank you thank you to a source on binghamton south side for calling this to my attention this was just posted uh less than an hour ago but <laughs> you know, the gradual decommissioning of the Gannett Empire continues. This is just great. This is just great. Anyway, here's the deal. Your newspaper, should you get a newspaper? By the way, I am holding a newspaper right now that in better times would have been printed just a few miles away from here in Johnson City. But because it's Gannett, you'll recall a few years ago, Gannett shut down its virtually brand new printing facility in Johnson City and basically left about 100 people unemployed because they shut down a plant that was actually, actually, uh, paid for thanks to people like you, New York taxpayers. Gannett received significant benefits as part of the state brownfield program for their approximately $50 million printing facility in Johnson City off Route 17. You know, you see it, uh, most recently used as a uh, COVID shot facility. Anyway, Gannett uh, just announced now they're going to shut down the printing plant now where this newspaper that I'm holding was printed last night. So this newspaper, of course, with really fresh news, because they, I don't know what their deadline is now for the Binghamton newspaper, because they print it in the Rochester area in a place called Greece. Remember that movie? John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, Greece is the word. Well, I think it was filmed in the town of Greece outside Rochester. So they've just announced today that the printing plant at Canal Ponds Business Park will be closed in April, and that will cost 108 employees their jobs. They'll shift the publication of the Democrat and Chronicle in Rochester and our newspaper in Binghamton out of state. (laughs) Well, there's fresh news you can count on. Uh, According to the story posted on the Democrat and Chronicle website, 57 full-time workers and 51 part-time employees began being notified of the pending cessation of operations this morning. Gannett of course, was required under a state law to file a notice 
with the Labor Department. A Gannett spokesperson said, as our business becomes increasingly digital and subscription-focused, newspaper printing partnerships have become standard. We are making strategic decisions to ensure the future of local journalism and continue our outstanding service to the community. How a spokesperson, even if that's your job, is to be a corporate spokesperson, how you could say that with a straight face, well, fortunately spokesperson probably didn't actually have to say it. The spokesperson probably wrote it in an email because that's how most spokespersons operate these days. Interestingly, the Canal Ponds printing plant in the town of Greece was opened in 1997, so that opened approximately 26 years ago. So they got more use out of that plant than they did the one in Johnson City. That one they used for 12 years. Uh, let's see, what else does this say? Blah, blah, woof, woof. We love the news. We hate the news. We. I'm paraphrasing. Let's see. So most consumers receive news through their digital devices. Yeah, me too. I receive most of my news most of the time through a digital device, but I still have this perverse I know it's perverse a desire to have a print copy of the newspaper sometimes well now evidently (laughs) evidently this is uh, not going to be printed in New York anymore anyway let's uh, see what else they say in this fabulous story no byline of course because probably at Rochester they have no journalist in the newsroom I don't even know if they have an operating newsroom anymore if they're all requiring their people to work remotely work out of their car Uh, it says it says the Democrat and Chronicle printing and packaging facility has been printing a host of -of out-of-town newspapers published by Gannett and others soon those newspapers will be published elsewhere So what that means for the Rochester paper, as well as other fine Gannett newspapers in Binghamton, Ithaca, Corning, Elmira, Hornell, Utica, and Canandaigua, the newspapers will be printed in Rockaway, New Jersey. (laughs) Uh, For some other papers, like Gannett's Erie, Pennsylvania paper, they'll produce that in Canton, Ohio. Gannett officials said this should have little effect on advertisers that part i believe yes it should have little effect on advertisers the other question of course which gannett would not answer today even if i attempted to call somebody locally or at corporate gannett won't tell you when they're going to be knocking out more print days for our binghamton paper heck if they're going to print it in Rockaway, New Jersey, why even bother? Seriously, why even bother printing a daily paper or a six-day-a-week paper or a three-day-a-week paper? I don't you just print what I've said before that they're going to wind up doing anyway, something like a weekend edition. We call it the Sunday paper, but they might as well print the so-called weekend edition in Rockaway, New Jersey, on Wednesday afternoon, and that'll give Gannett plenty of time to load all of the Binghamton papers in a U-Haul van 
or a Penske rental truck and bring them up to the distribution site so their delivery people, who don't get paid nearly enough, can pick up the papers and deliver the weekend edition on Friday afternoon. It's probably not going to affect the actual news content of the print edition. You see what you get in Sunday's print edition. Uh, Much of the content already appeared days earlier online. So, anyway, that's the Flash, apparently official. It must be official because Gannett put it on their Rochester website. And, uh, well, at least I'll be able to save several hundred dollars this year. But on one level, it is tragic. Yes, on one level, it's tragic. On another level, it's... It's about, I guess it's about time. Why don't they just, you know, the funny thing is, I was uh, joking off the air about an hour ago before the sheriff came in. Or was it on the air? I think I was actually commenting on the air about an hour ago before our interview with the sheriff, uh, saying that uh, before you know it, all of journalism will be defunded. There will be no newsrooms left in New York State. Maybe the New York Times news operation, which I think I said, would ultimately be moved to Connecticut next to ESPN headquarters. So that's probably going to happen. And maybe sooner than I thought. Hi, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? DJ from Binghamton, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I was expecting a new sheriff in town bumper song from you. <laughs> I really enjoyed the interview of uh, Sheriff Akshar. He's a breath of fresh air. Even the way he talks, like it's a whole new, never-before-heard type thing with the words he uses. Um, and you've never probably heard that before with interviews from people, especially sheriffs, senators, congressmen. Blessed instead of lucky. He clearly has on the belt of truth. And the reason I called, I want to say this. I love what he said about solutions, not just complaints. That's what we really need to be about. Because the state of Broome County is good, very good. But, uh, you know, just going and and letting out your toxic vomit is not the answer. We need complaints. So the more that happens, the better it is going to be. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think. I think people can um, come up with uh, constructive constructive ideas, even those who disagree with each other, if they want. Now, in yeah, some cases, I'm absolutely. not so sure that people want to see actual progress. I and I, I'm not sure about it. I mean, there there's some people who make complaints, but they do so cloaking their identity. A lot of times. Right. I'm not going to get any more specific, but people know uh, specifically of the type of people I'm speaking. And look, this program basically has had, from its inception more than a decade ago, this program has offered, in theory, or, uh, well, yeah, almost, not literally an open door for everybody to stroll in here and, you know, voice your concerns. But, you know, if you contact me and, 
you've got legitimate concerns, you could probably set up a studio interview. But a lot of people who have complaints about things going on in our community don't want to do that. They don't even want to talk with me off the air because for some reason right. they think they think that I have an agenda. I think, DJ, you can attest, I don't have much of an agenda. As, as I've said before, my agenda typically is to inform the public. That's why yeah. I got into the business. And, I agree. And also because this is a three-hour program every day, there has to be some sort of an entertainment component as well, or else people would get bored with the whole thing and say, no, I want something exciting. I'm going to watch C-SPAN. What happened? Right. Did something fall oh, on your foot? Nothing. No, no, no. You okay? Yeah, I agree with you, Bob. I want to say, yeah, yeah, that's nothing. Um, someone who is a normal voter of a normal mind, who is for our county, who is for our state, who is pro-America, absolutely, they're going to come with complaints. If you don't have an anarchist-type uh, soul, soul meaning thoughts, feelings, and emotions, if you don't have that, if you're not, you know, blaming everybody for your problems, you know, if you're not doing that, then you're going to come with solutions, not complaints. I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, the swearing-in ceremony that he mentioned was great, very positive. And uh, at the Hilton, we had uh, Dave Campbell, a brother pastor of mine, give the benediction. We had uh, Jared Terry, who uh, grew up across the street from the Hilton, where I went to, where I cut my teeth on the word. And that's a positive thing as well. Solutions, not complaints. That's the ticket. All right, that's that's my philosophy. Salute. I that's mean, I don't. Ticket. I don't mind. I don't mind people uh, complaining because sometimes people have legitimate complaints, and I also understand. And I've talked with some people who feel that their voices are are definitely not represented in the mainstream media, and many of them actually have a they have a valid point. They do have a valid point. I don't. I don't say that uh, every voice and, and every group that is part of our community receives appropriate attention in the media, even on this radio station. But I'm here to help. I can't. Right. I can't make it perfect. And I, I know people are. Well, you know, you're on WNBF, so well, you know about that. It's like, yeah, I know I'm on WNBF, but I control. This three-hour slot on WNBF, yeah. and this slot is is part of my personal mission, and also by extension, Town Square Media's mission to help serve our community. Now, if you don't want to take advantage of that, if you're skeptical and cynical about my motives, well, I can't help uh -huh. you. But yeah. you know, I I have tried to convey to people if you have legitimate concerns about most right. anything. This is, one, this is one of the ways to get your concerns aired in an appropriate forum, not sort of, right. um, as, as Elon Musk might call it, some sort of Internet hellscape. This is a, a, a somewhat civilized way to discuss legitimate concerns and maybe, maybe strive for real progress in the community. Yes, and, you know, coming with a solution means Thinking out before you you come. There's and so in front of the um, Broome County Sheriff's Office, they stand with signs and and that's not a solution. It really isn't. It's a complaint. 
So now, knowing Sheriff Akshar, he'll have an open-door policy, just as Mayor Rich David always had an open-door policy. Remember the Broome County Executive, uh, Debbie, forget her last name, but... Uh, Debbie, a, Debbie, Preston. Debbie Preston. Debbie Preston. Every Tuesday, you could go to Debbie Preston's office, and you can sit and talk with her and be civil with your solution after your complaint. That's what he's talking about, and that's what I agree with. And by the way, that... Uh, dropping you heard was uh, one of the things was my little uh, Midland combination radio. And uh, when the power goes out, it's it's everything you need, a flashlight. You still get the WMBF. Well, the good uh, thing is that's, that's probably okay because those things were generally made to last. They're great. Oh, Bob. We, Binghamton usually doesn't lose power, but, you know, with the, with the weather the way it is and it changes. Mm, it but can always sure, happen. Sure I want to say... Congratulations to Sheriff Agshar. God bless you, my brother. We love hearing from you, and we look forward to every uh, time you come on again. Thanks for talking with me, Bob. I appreciate it. And thank you for your call. It's 1028. If you have thoughts, I have a telephone and a microphone. My name is Bob Joseph. My phone number is 607-772-1290. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. theme song when they move my program to nine to midnight <laughs> imagine that yeah nine to midnight instead of nine to noon and that'll be my theme song here comes the night 607-772-1290 the one and only bob joseph continuing to preside over what i consider binghamton's best Weekday morning radio program. Gary from Binghamton's West Side. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. Hey, I agree with your previous caller. Thank you for Fred Akshar for coming in and talking with you. That was a pleasant surprise, and it's always good. As far as the Gannett newspaper goes, I feel your show is more informative than uh, any newspaper in the area right now, but that's just my opinion. Well, and that may be true, but it's not right. I mean, I as much as I love this program, and I'm glad that we can serve as as a source of information in real time, it's not right for a community like Binghamton to have to rely on a three-hour Monday through Friday talk show to get a lot of um, rele- relevant information. Our newspaper, our newspaper should be able to provide the type of context and background that that we used to expect and again i'm not putting myself down i'm not criticizing the people who currently work for the newspaper i i admire them that they're doing doing work under um how can i put it nicely less than optimal circumstances so i i continue to support them uh up until probably uh, about 10 minutes ago i was planning to keep pumping hundreds of dollars into the operation even 
even though the the relevance of the print edition, uh, I think. I think it's no secret. It hasn't been very relevant for a long time since they were printing in Rochester, whenever that was. I think it was 2018 that they shut down the plant in Johnson City. So the last four years, because of early deadlines, the print edition has lost real relevance. The only reason Gannett keeps it going is because, especially on Sundays, it generates some advertising revenue. The other thing is they make a lot of money on two other things, obituaries and legal notices. And that's that's the that's the truth about print. And I I am at peace that with the fact that print is going away. But as I uh, sent a direct message to the person who called my attention to Gannett's decision uh, to shut down the Rochester area printing plant in April, I uh, I said I'd rather they just shut the whole thing down right now and go all digital immediately this gradual this is like it's like hanging on to something it's not coming back well no no and and we know the writing's on the wall and i am happy with it but i would be happier instead of them you know crashing the plane keep keeping the plane running knowing full well it's going to run out of fuel over the ocean why don't you just land the plane now at the nearest airport, fly the plane into the nearest airport, have one final print edition this Sunday, and say it's been a good run. It has been a good run. Since 1904, since April 11th, 1904, Binghamton has been fortunate to have something called the Binghamton Press, then the Evening Press and Sunday Press, and now the Press and Sun Bulletin. Hey, it's... The the uh, work that has been done by journalists and uh, other support people, including the uh, the people who used to set type and the people who used to print the uh, thing on on old time printing presses, as opposed to the new high speed presses. Hey, I commend their their work. Let's just have one final commemorative edition. Hell, sell it for ten dollars on Sunday. You know, put put a, put together a, a section. Get there eventually. Well, yeah, but then just do it now and put me uh, and everyone else Bob. out of my misery. Well, it's got to be for the, the main reason people do things, and that's for money, right? So whatever the reason, you know, there's some it's type fine. of thing where I'm not against you know. Gannett making money. Every company makes money, and every company wants to make more money. I work for a company that makes money. But that's and why wants... they're hanging on. Sure, you know, it might be tax reasons. Oh, I know. I know, I know. That's, I mean, clearly, if if they could find an easier and quicker exit strategy from print, they would do it right now. I I do understand it, and it's probably people are many people are saying, well, Bob, why don't you just, you know? In fact, I thought about it uh, when I came to work yesterday, starting a brand new year. I thought, well, people are probably appropriately sick and tired of me mentioning every little additional unpleasant change with the newspaper operation. So my plan was not to say anything at all, generally speaking. But then what can you do, especially with this big announcement, that uh, the paper, such as it is, apparently is going to be printed in Rochester. Who knows? Maybe, let me just check now and press connects. Maybe they actually have printed their own version of the story. I say keep on talking about it, Bob. 
You know, because not all of us are up to par on all of the stuff that mm. goes on. Well, and, and your insight, you know, that gives us more information. Yeah. And stuff. Well, I think I will, I, you know, because I think it's relevant to the community. And again, I can't say it enough. I support every person who works in any capacity with any of Gannett's operations, um, print, digital, um, advertising, circulation, wherever they are now. I don't know if it's in Louisville or Bangalore, but I support them 1,000%. And, I, I mean, on a, another level, I acknowledge that Gannett executives also have to respond to shareholders and I mean, the price of their stock continues. I mean, it's grim. So I don't know what I would do if I were put in charge of the Gannett newspaper company. And, and let's face it, they they don't want to call it a newspaper company because they're ashamed of their newspaper side. And they are they are doing their darndest as as we would expect. All newspaper companies are are working to transition. So there's and there's no sin in that. Newspapers had a sense at one point of being the truth, you know, like they would just tell you the news. Nowadays we have social media and it gets crazy. I'd like to discuss one thing that's going on social media, the knee on the neck with the Binghamton police department. Can I just talk about that for a second? Sure. So when did it become that the news is what happens after the quote unquote event or crime or whatever took place all of the news that we've been hearing is what happens after the binghamton policeman puts his knee on the back on the guy's back close to his neck and that's and now this is that's the news it's all about he did wrong you know this is we've had rodney king now we've got this again or uh, i'm sorry to uh, george floyd i'm sorry and you know we have that now what about what happened all before that? We don't talk about that. Nope, let's not mention that. That's not relevant, right? It doesn't matter. How did he end up on the ground? If 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 he's being confronted and the police want to speak with him, they'll tell him, you know, turn around. We're going to handcuff you for our own safety. And maybe he didn't want to be handcuffed or whatever. But that's usually what happens. You don't, they just think that the police just don't come up to you and throw you on the ground. Bob, I don't, I live in a neighborhood that has crime a lot. I've seen what's going on. And in my view, I say to Binghamton police, I give them an A plus. I've seen them in tough situations where people yelling at them, you know, calling them every name in the book and stuff. And they just hand themselves professionally. All right. So what happened downtown? What's the story? Is it after? the guy was thrown to the ground or is the story also before what happened i think it's a combination of the two and you can't just have the one side of what happened after in our past it was what the guy did beforehand and then if they beat him up a little or whatever that wasn't talked about so let's talk about both sides let's talk about what happened after and what happened before so, well, and I agree. how come I don't see it on WMBF? I'm just curious about that. Because I, I don't have any specific information. To do a good report okay. on this, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll have to tell you. To do a, a good, decent report on this would require a lot of time. And remember, I, as I uh, explained yesterday, 
I didn't pay any attention to any news for an extended period of time till I got here and went on the air at nine ten Tuesday morning. Understandable. So, so to to do a decent story as opposed to just recycle what people have already reported and based on, um, of course, what was put on Facebook with the the two video clips and what people said happened. First, I can virtually guarantee. Notice I word it very carefully. I can virtually guarantee if I called the mayor or if I called the police chief, I would get essentially no response or I'd get a an emailed statement similar to what the what City Hall released already, which I found. Um, they used the word there that I felt was probably not the correct word when they were describing the time that it happened, right? Did you hear about, did you see, catch that too, Bob? Or, well, refresh my memory. that it happened roughly at, I mean, of all words to choose, you got to choose that word, but that really doesn't matter. So go ahead, as you were saying. Well, I, I think, I think this practice of releasing very little information, and remember, this isn't new. I mean, the mayor, the mayor uh, was in charge on April eighteenth last year when Eliza Spencer was shot in the chest outside her home. So we know, we know the way the mayor and the uh, police chief handle high-profile events. They don't release much information at all quickly. The first thing that the police... Well, first of all, the police, I believe, didn't release any information until 2 o'clock the following afternoon for shooting that happened around 10 o'clock the previous night. And the mayor, his only contribution was, I think, a tweet that uh, shortly after 8.30 the next morning, you know, providing public information by Twitter is not serving your community, in my opinion. I know. That's now, the younger now, And the mayor, look, do? the mayor went to journalism school. So the, ma- the, mayor knows, the mayor knows how things should be done. And, and his assistant, she knows, as, as having worked for years as a journalist here in Binghamton and elsewhere. They know how, how to properly release information and and the thing is, and and Matt Ryan learned this on the first business day of his administration because sadly there was a man who was shot to death on Main Street in Binghamton early in the morning on Matt Ryan's first day in office. Bad things can and will happen. Some involve the police. Some involve other aspects of city departments. It's just because bad things happen, that doesn't mean the people involved were bad. doesn't mean the city is bad, and it doesn't mean the administration is bad. But you have to be, in my opinion, and, and I admit my opinion probably doesn't reflect the opinion of everyone because I've been a journalist in this town for decades. In my opinion, the community is best served by governments and other organizations trying to get factual information out to the public Rapidly, especially in this, in, in, especially in this age of social media, because what happens? People start seeing stuff on Facebook or other social media platforms, and l- lacking any other information about what transpired, that's how a narrative develops. So there are a lot of people, 
who may point, Bob. yeah a lot of people who may already have judged what happened based on the two short video clips that I've seen on Facebook and what the person who posted them on Facebook said that happened. That's one person's point of view. My guess is, because it appeared that there were several dozen people in that general area of downtown Binghamton when it happened, my guess is, if you could round up 50 people who were there, you would get 50 different accounts. And that doesn't mean that anybody who would tell you what they thought they saw or what they believed happened. That doesn't mean anybody was making things up or not telling the truth. Everybody has a different perspective, especially Absolutely. when something especially when something happens that nobody expected. Trust me. Yeah. And don't right. you hate it when people it say trust so quickly. me. It happens so quickly. Yes. They've done studies on this, Bob, where they, where they have police in a room and they have a guy run through the room and they ask the policeman... You know, what was he wearing stuff? And they get all these different answers because, you know, that's just the way we are. It We're is. human beings. We're human beings. It is. You know? And and that's one of the things that uh, the detectives, I assume, who are reviewing the case, the videos, not just the videos on Facebook, but also the body-worn camera yeah. videos. Ah, yes. And, and that'll be another thing. This will be a test for Mayor Cram. He won't release them. Well... Let me put it this way. Okay. And this is just my opinion. But it will be a test for him. I think he ought to release them at some point. Now, I don't, I'm not saying he ought to release them today. Uh, clearly, I think, because this is uh, a, a very, potentially very serious case, I think, of course... He needs to carefully review them, along with the police chief and others in police administration, and probably with the district attorney's office, review whatever videos are available, body-worn camera videos, the videos some of us have already seen on Facebook, other videos that may be available, and interview as many people as possible, and then ultimately, fairly soon, as I say, sooner rather than later, hold a news conference with the police chief and probably with the district attorney and tell us what you've determined. Tell us what your review of the matter has determined and also release at least some of the body cam footage. Yeah, I think, if they I, don't, I mean, then what does everybody think, Bob? Like, if they don't release it and then people immediately think, well, maybe not everybody, but some, they think, well, they're hiding something. Right. Some, some, some will be suspicious. Not everyone. Some will say, not everybody. You know, if, no. the, if, if right. the police chief and if the mayor and the district attorney hold a news conference on the fourth floor at City Hall and say our review has concluded that Binghamton police officers acted appropriately under the circumstances. And they don't release any of this. Some people are going to say, well, we don't believe you. We don't believe you because there's a narrative that's already developed. And look, the, the city and other communities across the state and across the country spend enormous amounts of money for these body-worn cameras, for the equipment, for the software, for the ability to store the videos. And if, if you're not willing release at least some of the video after this has been 
sufficiently investigated. A lot of people are going to wonder, then what's the point? The only point of the body-worn cameras, some people will conclude, is always just to protect the police, not to protect those who are supposed to be protected and served. In in the event, if a police officer somehow makes a mistake. And again, police officers are like talk show hosts. They're all human. Just like NFL players, we're all human. We all and they have to deal with somebody in difficult situations. Sure. You can't just say, "Oh, please stop!" You know, right? Can you please turn around and let me let me handcuff. You know, sometimes they, they don't want to be right. So, what are you supposed to do then? You got to take control. They and do, and that's that's yeah. one of the toughest things I think that police are taught in the academy. You need to do your best to de-escalate a situation, but also control the situation. Too many situations, including situations uh, when people have been out celebrating New Year's Eve and they're big crowds, situations can turn bad quickly because you've got a crowd situation, you've got a situation where probably uh, most of the people in the crowd have been drinking, and uh-huh. you know, was involved probably. Oh, of yeah. course. So anyway, we'll see what happens. I all right, Bob. I would gladly, and I know this is going to fall on deaf ears, but I would gladly make this program available for the mayor and the police chief and the district attorney and anyone else who wants to discuss the situation at the appropriate time, because I think this would be one of the few venues in our community where people could hear about it in a a way uh, other than sound bites or or little random quotes that might show up in the newspaper or online. Come on, Mayor, man up. Man up and go on to Bob Joseph's show. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Gary. It's 1051. This is Bob Joseph on WNBF. Mark... Fifty-five WNBF. By the way, we had uh, Broome County Sheriff Fred Akshar in uh, early. His schedule required him to come in early, and therefore we did not have the opportunity to speak with Karen Sweet O'Neill at her usual time at about 9.20. So we will be hearing from Karen Sweet O'Neill coming up in about 20 minutes, around 11.15. So there, just a slight adjustment. Make a note. In your radio guide, Bob Joseph live on WNBF. Something. WNBF 1058, weather forecast, lovely today. Showers coming up, though, this afternoon. High 58, showers tonight. Low 44, partly sunny tomorrow. High 50, and right now in downtown Binghamton. On the 4th of January, it's 55 at News Radio WNBF. 
I never read. Joseph, it's Wednesday morning. You're listening to WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, January 4th. You're listening to WNBF. A busy route between Endwell and Johnson City will be closed to traffic for a short time to allow demolition crews to take down an IBM Country Club pedestrian bridge. The walkway over Watson Boulevard in the town of Union was used by people to safely cross the street between the main country club complex and athletic facilities next to the Route 17 Expressway. Project Superintendent John Kerry said planning for the bridge removal operation is being finalized. He said the tentative date for the work is January 18th. Town of Union representatives have been involved in planning for the detour that will be needed to take the walkway down. Kerry said the work is expected to take part of a day to complete. Investigators are working to determine the cause of a fire that raced through a three-story house in Johnson City. The New Year's Day blaze at 1012 Dartmouth Street was reported shortly before 6 p.m. Several people called to report the fire in the three-family building located west of Massachusetts Avenue. According to Johnson City Fire Marshal Bob Blakesley, the first units on the scene encountered heavy fire engulfing the rear portion of the structure. Firefighters searched the burning house and determined no one was inside. A second alarm was called by the incident commander as the blaze started to extend to three neighboring buildings. Off-duty village firefighters and a Binghamton Fire Department unit responded to the scene. The fire was brought under control after about two hours. Firefighters stayed at the scene for several more hours to fully extinguish the blaze. Although no serious injuries were, were reported to residents or firefighters, several dogs died in the blaze. Xiaoqing Zhang, age 59 of Niskiyun, New York, was sentenced to 24 months in prison for conspiring to steal General Electric trade secrets, knowing or intending to benefit the People's Republic of China. United States Attorney Carla B. Friedman stated Zhang sought to enrich himself and benefit the People's Republic of China by stealing trade secrets developed and owned by his longtime employer, General Electric. We will continue to work with the FBI to hold criminals accountable when they seek to illegally exploit American ingenuity. Zhang was convicted of conspiracy to commit economic espionage following a four-week jury trial that ended on March 31, 2022. The jury either acquitted Zhang or could not reach a unanimous verdict as to 11 other charged counts. Zhang was employed at GE Power in Schenectady, New York, as an engineer specializing in turbine sealing technology. He worked at GE from 2008 until the summer of 2018. The trial evidence demonstrated that Zhang and others in China conspired to steal GE's trade secrets surrounding GE's ground-based and aviation-based turbine technologies, knowing or intending to benefit the People's Republic of China and one or more foreign instrumentalities, including China-based companies and universities that research development and manufacture parts for turbines. On December 28th, officers from the Cortland County Sheriff's Office were called to Star Road in the town of Cortlandville to investigate a suspicious activity complaint. During the investigation, officers discovered that a reported stolen vehicle from the state of Pennsylvania had ran out of fuel, that the occupants of the stolen vehicle left the area and left the stolen vehicle in a driveway on Star Road. Through a collaborative investigation between the Cortland County Sheriff's Office and the Pittstown Township Police Department, in Pennsylvania, it was found that the defendant, David E. Thomas, had stolen the vehicle from a residence in Pittston, Pennsylvania, before coming to New York with it. Mr. Thomas was later located on January 1st 
through an unrelated investigation. Mr. Thomas was arrested for warrants he had for possession of the stolen vehicle. He was transported to the Cortland County Sheriff's Office for processing and issued an appearance ticket. Mr. Thomas was then turned over to Tompkins County Sheriff's Office for a warrant he had out of their agency. Mr. Thomas is scheduled for his initial court appearance in the town of Virgil Court on January 24th to answer the charge of criminal possession of stolen property in the fourth degree. The NFL and its fans are rallying in support of Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin, who remains in critical condition at a Cincinnati hospital after going into cardiac arrest on the field. Players and coaches from around the league were overcome with emotion while watching Hamlin be resuscitated back to life Monday night during Buffalo's game at Cincinnati. Hamlin's uncle, Dorian Glenn, told CNN that his nephew had to have his heart restarted twice, once on the field and once at the hospital. Glenn said there were some encouraging signs Tuesday, including doctors reducing the amount of oxygen Hamlin was receiving. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty in Manhattan federal court to charges that he cheated investors and looted customer deposits on his cryptocurrency trading platform. Bankman-Fried entered the plea Tuesday in his first appearance before a judge who sent a tentative trial date of October second. He is accused of defrauding investors by illegally diverting massive sums of customer money from FTX to make lavish real estate purchases, donate money to politicians, and make risky trades at Almeida Research, his cryptocurrency hedge fund trading firm. Bankman Freed was released from custody with electronic monitoring two weeks ago to await trial at his parents' house in Palo Alto, California. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, showers mainly after 3 p.m., some patchy fog after 3 p.m., a high near 58 degrees, chance of rain 90%. Tonight, showers before 1 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 4 a.m., patchy fog before midnight, a low near 44 degrees, 90% chance of rain. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 50. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of showers after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low near 35 degrees, 20% chance of rain. And Friday, a chance of showers, mostly cloudy, with a high near 40, chance of rain 40%. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 31 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph, Wednesday morning, live at News Radio WNBF. You want to call? By all means, call now at 607 772 He's a soul man. All right. If you have a sewing machine, you could be a soul man. And it is another big hour on the program. Uh, WNBF, WNBF.com. If you want to see interesting news features, go to our website. If you want to see uh, what is going on, the latest, what's going on at the uh, former IBM Country Club site, located conveniently between Endicott and Johnson City, uh, go to WNBF.com. Yes, they have been working for the last couple of months, and it is true. 
virtually all of what I knew to be the IBM Country Club complex. It's virtually all gone. Although the walkway is still there. The walkway over Watson Boulevard remains there, but as we report at WNBF.com, it won't be there for much longer. And uh, when they do get around to actually removing that walkway between the old, what used to be the country club complex, and then the athletic fields, the baseball or softball fields, and the tennis courts, uh, they will have to close down a section of Watson Boulevard in the town of Union, just west of Johnson City. It'll be closed down for uh, a while. Not a whole day. But anyway, we have the details. WNBF.com. We'll keep you posted. That's what we do. Back to the phones we go on this Wednesday morning. Oh, I suppose. Hey, is this Karen Sweet O'Neill? No, it's Ron from Bingham. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Coming up, by the way, for our listeners' edification. Hang on, Ron. I just want to double-check because... uh, we may we may speak with Karen Sweet O'Neill first. Okay, hang in there. Oh, sure. Hold on. I love New York. Hi, WNBF. Yes, good morning. Oh, it's Vinny. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hang, hang on, Vinny. Now, here's the thing. Okay. What, what I think I'm going to do, hang in there, because okay. um, Karen Sweet O'Neill, who normally is heard at about 920 in the morning. Yep. She got bumped for some reason because, oh, it turns out because Broome County Sheriff Fred Akshar was available to come in at the start of the program. So we have pushed uh, Karen Sweet O'Neill's segment back to this hour. So she should be coming up actually shortly. And then um, we will probably speak with Ron, and then we could speak with you or whatever. So you can either hang on or, if you want, call back because the way things are shaping up probably – Probably be a few minutes before we get to you, but uh, you know, okay. it's the beauty of live radio. No problem. All right. Do you okay. mind? Do you mind if I click my pen on 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 the air on the radio? No, go right ahead. All right. This is absolutely the last thing you should ever hear on the radio is somebody clicking mm-hmm. his pen. Listen. Of course, now I've got a pen that won't click right. So, and there you go. That's one of the reasons they tell you never try to click a pen. Okay, we'll uh, wind up speaking with you soon, Vinny. Okay. okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, it's eleven fourteen, indeed. Coming up momentarily, we'll be speaking with Karen Sweet O'Neill with her update, especially important, actually, ironically, for uh, former IBM employees. It's interesting that we were talking about the removal, the impending removal of the old walkway from the IBM Country Club over Watson Boulevard. Well, gee, that would segue nicely with our upcoming segment with Karen Sweet O'Neill. She's got some important information for IBM retirees. So stay tuned. Listening to News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. News Radio 
WNBF and its affiliated stations providing live coverage of whatever needs to be covered. <laughs> That's a pretty bold promise, in my opinion. It's Bob Joseph live at 1117. Providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill on News Radio 1290 WNBF. And now, using the state of the art technology that is so prevalent now in the 21st century, we go direct to Karen Sweet O'Neill and say good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good. Good. Yep. By the way, I, I received a note from uh, a, a big fan of the program, and he um, he sent me a note Tuesday afternoon and wanted to know when Karen Sweet O'Neill was going to be on today because his father, who used to work for IBM, mm-hmm. was very interested in what you were going to tell us today. And I forgot when I sent him uh, the reply, I said, well, Karen Sweet O'Neill is usually on at 9.20 on Wednesday morning, and I forgot that I had, uh, as sort of a, a late add to the program, had booked the Broome County Sheriff, Fred Akshar, to come into the studio since he's thought it would be a nice a nice gesture to have the new sheriff on. So I apologize for, for making the time change. Apologize to you and also to the listeners who were expecting this to happen two hours ago. Well, you know, better late than never. Actually... Some people, some cynics would say this is all part of Bob's Bob's ploy to get people to listen for two extra hours to the program. <laughs> and I would say, no, I'm not that smart. If I if I had thought about it, I I would have done it because it'd be it'd be clever. That'd be like everybody's tuned in, they've got the kids, they got the grandparents, they've got popcorn, they're all gathered around the radio at nine twenty expecting you and then they have to wind up waiting till 11:20 but you know what's good it's exactly 11:20 here in Binghamton but it's exactly 9:20 right now in Denver and in Boulder Colorado so for our listeners in the uh Denver area and um oh a few of the other what's the place where they used to make that um oh they used to make a beer somewhere in in Colorado. I can't remember. It was called um, Boar's Light. Boar's Light, they used to make, oh, Golden, Colorado. So there it's 920. So they're happy. (laughs) Anyway, tell us uh, a little information for uh, so many of our listeners, probably thousands of listeners who are our former IBM employees and some things they need to know as uh, 2023 gets underway. All right, I will. So you know, just recently and continuing on, people that are retirees from IBM or spouses of retirees um, that are Medicare eligible, Bob, they're starting to receive paperwork. They're starting to receive especially um, their cards, you know, whether it's their card for the essential plan that they chose or the enhanced plan that they'll start to use for, you know, medical procedures hospitalizations, dental, vision, and all of that. But they're also receiving some information from Optum Financial. And Optum Financial is the um, 
it's the uh, the arm of the United Healthcare. It's the financial arm where the Mastercard payment is coming from. So, what does that mean? It means that if you were an IBM retiree or a spouse's a spouse of a retiree that is now deceased, and you were eligible for uh, the new plans, which were the essential plan or the enhanced plan, then you were also eligible at that time for an uh, annual once a year, actually I should just say one time, transition allowance. That transition allowance was either $500, $1,000, or $1,200. And it's, um, it's basically a token that IBM is giving the retirees or their spouses because they're asking them to change their healthcare coverage once again. So there's being generated are um, these letters, and it's saying, welcome to Optum Financial. Well, people are like, well, I'm not in Optum Financial. What is that? Well, yes, you are. So you always want to look at the letter. You want to look over into the uh, right-hand side. It should say group and then IBM. And then you know it's legitimate, okay? And then in the same letter or in a different mailing will be a MasterCard. The MasterCard looks just like a regular MasterCard, but it's an it's an Optum payment card. And if you want to use it like a MasterCard, which is probably the easiest way to do this, you just call and activate the card by the toll-free number that's, you know, the stick little sticker on the card, and then you put it in your wallet or your purse, what have you. If you go to the drugstore and you have a copay on your prescriptions, use your MasterCard to pay for it. If you go to the doctor, use your MasterCard. If you go to the hospital, you can use your MasterCard to pay for those copays, and that's what it's designed for. I mean, you can't use the MasterCard to go out and go shopping because, you know, that's just not going to be legitimate. And what IBM is asking in United Healthcare is you don't have to turn in your receipts, but save your receipts just in the event that we check that these were legitimate expenses. So I don't know how that's going to, you know, how they're going to be able to check that. So, but I still would use them for dental, vision, prescription, or medical. And then that way you can be reimbursed, you know, directly without actually you can be paid. Let them pay for you. But again, it's one time only, so you're not going to get it every year. And if you say, oh, my gosh, I didn't do this. I I stayed with Via Benefits. I thought I could just stay there and I would get my money because every year people were getting $1,300 or $3,000 put into their HRA. That is now zero. There is no contribution anymore to the old way. But you are still allowed to go into the new plan anytime during this year. People don't realize that. You can also get the transition allowance. So if you missed the boat because it was too confusing back in the fall and you didn't do it by December 16th, you know, you can give us a call. We'll bring you in. We'll call them. And you can do it in the following month, whether it's March 1st or April 1st or May 1st, because it's an open enrollment because you're going into a group retiree offering. So that's very, very important for people to realize. 
Also, use your MasterCard because they're asking you to do it within a two-year period. Um, so, I mean, use your money. So, and what well, happens if you don't use it within the two years? Then it goes down to zero? I, I don't know. I guess so, Bob. They didn't say. They just said they want them to use it in two years. I bet it would. Well. Well, I hope it doesn't, <laughs> but, but you know. It I probably would. Yeah, because yeah. I'll tell you what. This is, I have gift certificates that people have given me, and then I look at them and I say, you know, I probably should have used this about eight or ten years ago. Because I'm always afraid then I'm going to go to some place and then they'll say, yeah, well, you know, those gift certificates are actually good for five years. So after five years, we, we deleted everything that was on the card. So pay up, buddy. So I don't know. Right. But, it, but again, I mean, that's apropos of nothing, but it just goes to show you the type of, type of issues I have. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so in other Sorry, words, maybe you should get out. <laughs> you should use those gift certificates. Yeah, maybe I now. should. <laughs> but I mean, I don't get don't get me wrong. I I do use a lot of gift cards on a regular basis, but inevitably, sometimes you know, one or two fall through the cracks, and then you say, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know I had that." I'm going to go out to eat, and then I, right. I think I you know what if what if I present it to them? They say, "Yeah, yeah." If you looked at our website. And really, really small print, we, we said that uh, your gift card will revert to zero if it's not used within five years or something. And then I'd be stuck washing the dishes. Right. You would be because you already ate the food. Yeah. On the other hand, that would be funny to talk about the next day. That's almost worth. <laughs> that's almost worth the experience. So it would give me something to discuss on tomorrow's program. So <laughs> There you go. See, that happened to me with What's Your Beef. Um, friends of mine had given me a gift certificate, and it was three years, Bob, three years, and I had it in my wallet, and I just did, I didn't use it, I didn't think about it, and well, plus it was, you know, COVID had come, so oh, yeah. places weren't open, and um, I went there, and I said, is this still good? They said, you bet it is. Oh, said, good to wow. know, because I think, yeah. speaking, of course, now they call it the beef. The beef. Yes, but I still call beef. it what's your beef, because, you know, going back... Going back all those decades uh, on the West Side when it was What's oh, Your yeah. Beef. But, uh, oh, I'll, I'll have to keep that in mind because I may actually have. I think they listened to the program, too, by the way. So, hi. Do they? Yeah, were they? yeah, the last I knew. And during, by the way, during COVID sometimes when even the restaurants, they were closed. They couldn't have sit-down dining. Right. And right. so I, they were one of the places that I, I utilized when, you know, for takeout. Which For was takeout. yeah, yeah. but again, we're big fans, big yeah. fans of the beef. They do, mm-hmm. they do such wonderful work. Anyway, now if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to make an appointment or get more information about the uh, IBM related changes or other things that you may be able to uh, assist on, what's the best way to get in touch? Okay, and we are doing annual reviews, Bob, on life insurance policies and long term care. So just to throw that in there, we are at six zero seven. Seven seven two forty eight ninety eight. We are at seventeen zero eight Vestal Parkway East, and that's up above Plato's Closet Style Encore in Vestal. You can Google us at KSO Insurance. All our contact information comes up, or simply go to a phone book, and we have a big display ad under Insurance in the yellow pages six zero seven 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 two forty eight ninety eight. 
Karen Sweet O'Neill, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. I hope you do, too. Thanks, Bob. Thanks. It's 1129. More calls coming right up if you want to comments on any of the issues du jour, 607-772-1290. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. Who's... WNBF 1132, and you can't touch this telephone. It's my phone, my phone exclusively. But you can call it 607-772-1290. Ron in Binghamton, you're on the air. Hi, Bob. Say, Karen made me think of something. Uh, She said she had a gift card, which was like three years old, which was honored at the beef. I was going through my desk yesterday, funny, I, I found a gift card, which is, let's see, it's almost 20 years old. I never used it. I'm wondering if it's still good. It's uh, to Mama Lena. Do you, uh, do you think they'd honor that, do you know, Mama Lena? Yeah, go up there and go up there. I'll meet you for lunch at 1230, and, and we'll see how that works. Okay. Maybe Remember Mama Lena, didn't they have this... Um, I'm trying to think if it's Mama Lena's or some other restaurant in that vicinity. Seems like they had a newspaper ad, and there was this illustration of it was very uh, a non complicated, very simple illustration, sort of uh, a pen and ink illustration of a kid's face with uh, a satisfied smile, as though he had just had the most delightful Italian meal of his life. I, I think that was Mama Lena's, but I, maybe I'm thinking of, a, of another similar restaurant that was uh, popular back in the day. I think that might have been Mama Lena's. They had the uh, most god-awful uh, tagline for a while, I, and then they took it down. I thought, geez, this, this is not going to invite people in it said mama lena's and the tagline was it's not good but there's plenty (laughs) i don't remember that (laughs) it's not it's not good but there's plenty well i don't remember that maybe i'm mistaken well no that's possible i'm uh now because we brought it up i'm looking at at old newspaper accounts of mama lena's let me, oh, here, here's their actual slogan. According to a newspaper, I won't mention what company printed it, but it was back when newspapers were actually printed on Schneingo Street in downtown Binghamton, about a block from where I am. So you know, those were the olden days. Uh, this newspaper article, it's sort of an advertorial. They had a, a special section on Saturdays where they would feature different restaurants, and every so often one of the participating restaurants we get a, a little write-up to go next to their ad it says mama lena's foods are the product of a slogan nothing fancy just good food which combines oh, dining pleasure and comfort so i i like that slogan if if the the actual slogan was something what did you say 
Not not very um, good, just lots of it, it or <laughs> but it's not good, but there's plenty. Yeah, yeah. Nothing fancy, just good food sounds more enticing. Um, yeah, that, that 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 I recall that now. I guess I was mistaken on the on the tagline. Uh, you know, Bob, I listened earlier in the show, uh Johnson Binghamton brought up an interesting point which um kind of uh, gave me a, a thought. Uh, John and you, uh, you were talking about the demise of reporting and closing of newsrooms and all of that. And uh, he uh, alluded to the fact that uh, you've got two sources now where you can get something on the air with alacrity. And that's uh, through you, Bob Joseph, and with Jim Emke. And I thought, well, that makes sense. They're the, the two big honchos now in the area. But Here's my, this immediately, I thought of this immediately because um, you came back from vacation. You were gone for 10 days. Now, uh, you know that the news never takes a vacation, but you you said that uh, you don't listen to the news or watch the news or do anything like that when you're on vacation. Well, gee, uh, and then you came back and Sometimes a uh, a caller will mention something, and you'll say, "Well, I didn't hear that I was on vacation." So we have to kind of retrain you when you come back from vacation. True, and that's why I usually, at the outset, first of all, I should point out it's not something I do every time when I take some time away from work, but I do occasionally. And this may have been the first time that during uh, the break between Christmas and New Year's Day. This may have been the first time that I actually didn't pay attention to the news. Sometimes if I do this sort of bizarre lifestyle experiment, uh, it typically, I think, is in summer. So say if I took time off in July or August, I might be more more inclined not to pay attention to the news then. But I may have done this once before around Christmas and New Year's, but I'd I don't, I don't recall. So it was weird, and I, I always do think when, even if I'm go- going to be off for just one day, I always think about what stories are going to happen in my absence. Not, not because I think I'm the only one capable of reporting, but I also understand that in some cases, certain stories just aren't going to be reported. I mean, that's. That is a reality. Say, heaven forbid that Jim Emke and I take the same week off. You know, Jim and I ought to coordinate our vacations so we don't leave the the Binghamton area without somebody with lots of institutional knowledge uh, on the desk. You know, maybe maybe the, the solution... Well, it's not the this ultimate solution, but a solution would be for Jim and I to sort of combine our resources. <laughs> we have a, a news partnership between News Channel Thirty Four and, and WNBF. That, that would be a that would be a powerhouse. Yes, well, I I think you should coordinate your uh, vacations, and because you were away for ten days, you probably did not see the Jim Emke report. On the reopening of Mamalinas. <laughs> did it really? Don't. Did it? <laughs> well, I believe you. 
Oh, it sounds like it sounds like something. It sounds like something that I would make up, but it also sounds like something that some clever food lover or a restaurant operator would would do and, and try to replicate the the glory days of Mamalinas. Yes, uh, and in fact, uh, you can go to Mamalinas, the reopened Mamalinas, and stop at the Schnitzel Bank for a beer before you go in. Remember the Schnitzel Bank. Yeah, and then afterwards we'll stop by Sharky's and grab some uh, speedies and a, a couple dozen clams. Wow! Think about <laughs> all all those great. Now restaurants do come and go, as do all businesses, businesses large and small. The only I heard on WCBS this morning, the guy who's. Uh, one of the anchors, one of the best anchors in in the radio news business, he said the only the only constant in business is change. I thought, wow, that's why he's in New York City and I'm in Binghamton. Oh. But but anyway, the the thing is, of course, restaurants always are opening and some inevitably close. But the toughest thing is is when these places. Such as Sharkies and Mamalinas and the Red Oak, uh, these these places that we loved for so long and just got used to them, and we thought, hmm, that's going to stay forever. Well, as we inevitably learn, uh, nothing lasts forever. I'm just looking. This is um, the newspaper that I pulled up from 1963. Because it actually said, celebrate New Year's at Mama Lena's. And there she is, Mama Lena. See, I didn't even know that there was a real person, Mama Lena. Do you know what her name was? Uh, the owner? Philomena uh, uh, Lascalia. Lena Shirley. Uh, and there's a picture of her, and it, sh- it says, spaghetti and meatballs are prepared by Mrs. Lena Shirley, owner, manager, and maitre d' of Mama Lena's. And the refurbished dining room at this popular restaurant has taken on a holiday look. And listen, it was gaily decorated with festive adornments. Oh, boy. Gaily decorated with festive adornments in the dining room for your New Year's celebration. They had a big parking lot at 494 Court, plush booths, a new tile floor, and the food, of course, it says, is the same. But also on this same page, now that was the write-up for Mama Lena's, there also were small newspaper ads on this Saturday advertising feature in the press, one for something called Chicken Inn on the Vestal Parkway, which then was Route 17, by the way. Chicken Inn, a family restaurant. Also, Pat's Bar and Grill on Avenue D in Johnson City. Dipsy Doodle in Johnson City. Do you remember Dipsy Doodle? Uh, No, that's before my time. (laughs) Steak dinner for two. 450 at Dipsy Doodle in Johnson City, the Airport Inn. Oh yeah, yeah I remember which the Airport Inn is still in business, mm-hmm. albeit different owners and also a different building because the original building was destroyed by fire. But Airport Inn back in 1963 was advertising chicken in a basket, 
clams, hot pies, and all legal beverages. They would serve no illegal beverages there. They had pilot specials on the drinks, I know. (laughs) I was going to mention an airline name, but then I thought, gee, I don't want to get sued this early in the year. But there is an airline I could have mentioned, and certainly in my defense, I could say, well, it's been verified that two of your pilots were caught attempting to fly one of your planes inebriated, but... Again, I don't want to have to go to court to have that conversation. So, well, I think I know the airline. Yeah. Their motto was "What goes up must come down." Yeah, sooner, uh, sooner rather than later. Also, the Johnson yeah. City Steak Shop near Johnson Field, uh, full course dinners. Oh, businessmen's lunches daily. Hmm. Oh boy, that's sexist. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look back in the newspaper. And you don't have to go too far back. Uh, I mean, even less than 50 years ago, there were a lot of things in our paper, not just the Binghamton paper, a lot of things. If they pulled that crap today, they'd be shut right down. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. It's happening now. Never mind. Um, It's happening even though they don't pull that stuff anymore. But so much of the stuff, page one, they would feature these photos of... um, Attractive, we'll say attractive people who, uh, I think David Letterman would call them, who were easy on the eyes. And then they would include some sort of headline. And I look at the newspaper, say from 45 or 50 years ago, and I say, they got away with that? I mean, today, you pull that kind of sexist stuff, and so many, I mean, not just photographs, so many stories and headlines were fixated on people's appearance and measurements and oh i mean if if that happened in 2023 heads would roll of course if it happened in 2023 there are no heads left to roll but still there i did it again i'm sorry i i can't help myself bob you remember the newspapers back then the employment section had men and women they split up the there were women employment and men's employment. Yes, they did. Yeah. And it was perfectly legal. Sure. And, yeah, I, uh, I'm i amazed at, as they say, oh, I'm looking right now at that particular paper, December 1963. Gee, that sounds like, who had that as a hit, December 1963? Oh, what a night. Yeah. Remember that? Help Wanted Women. Let me see. Yeah. Let me see if I can find one that seems particularly sexist. Because they did. They had some that were help-wanted men. And, and men could be salesmen or a station attendant or a root man. Here's one for women. Idle hours make Avon dollars. Use your spare time selling Avon's wonderful new TV advertised line. Here's another one. Girl to assist with housework. And that's another thing you saw frequently. They would refer sometimes to women, even in their early 20s, in news stories, as girls. Girl Friday. They'd say Girl Friday. Yeah. Now, so we, we, we've made, we, we certainly have made some progress over the decades. Yes, we have. 
and we owe it all to you and Jim Emke. <laughs> Mainly to Jim Emke. I'm I'm sort of just an innocent bystander. But Jim Emke is the, the pro. And by the way, which reminds me, I mean, think of all the times that Jim has uh, contributed to this program, helping out with breaking news. Sometimes if, say, news breaks out when I'm stuck here in the studio on the program, he's been so helpful over the years. So I, I've always been grateful for, for his assistance and his support. So anyway, well, I think we accomplish something i'm uh, this afternoon i'm driving up to the town of greece outside rochester to uh get one of those souvenir bricks of the old uh gannett printing plant oh yes too bad yeah um, i also have to call adam weitzman to let him know that yes another gannett printing press is uh, about to make its way over to his metal scrap yard off brandywine avenue do your work, Bob. We're behind you. <laughs> Thanks. It's eleven forty-eight. Bob Joseph on the radio. Still, WNBF. Join Mark. Fifty. Bob Joseph, WNBF. Back to the phones we go. Carol from Johnson City. Good morning. You're on the air. Yes. yes. When you you were reading from the paper on the computer, and when you said Dipsy Doodle, it was like a shot of nostalgia. <laughs> Dipsy Doodle. Uh, right, it's right at the end of uh, Broad Ave. It's right across. It, it was on the corner of Broad and Corliss, right across the street from Nima Cragen's uh, offices there, the old medical building. Really. Yes, and uh, when my mother would take me to the dent, this was in the 40s now, uh, about probably 40, uh, I don't know, 7, 8, I would go to the dentist, have my teeth cleaned or whatever, and uh, a couple of times we went across the street so mother could have a beer at the dentist. Do you remember the owner? Heck no, I was, a ki- uh, you know, 6, 7, 8 years old, I... I all I know is, uh, I don't even re- I think we probably sat at the bar. His name, his name was Tony Mangino. I'm looking at a picture of him now. Tony Mangino, and he had a, a special hat that he would wear when he was at the bar. There's the bar. Oh, there's a yeah. picture of your mom. Did she wear oh, glasses? <laughs> You're funny. Uh, anyway, it was, uh, uh, that's where the pharmacy was. It was. I think it was called My Pharmacy or some yeah. pharmacy. Yeah, well, it was there yeah. up until... Up until uh, several years ago, Harvey Stanger came and he tore it down. Remember, yeah, he he, he tore down my pharmacy across the street from the pharmacy school. And I thought, how ironic is that? You go and build a pharmacy school, and then <laughs> you go buy the old my pharmacy building, and you you send a guy with a bulldozer to tear it down. I thought, isn't that strange? He he moved up to uh, to Westover. I think he was on the corner of. Uh I think Oakdale Road and 
Main Street, not like almost kitty corner yeah. from Home Depot. Yeah, no, and sadly, the building is still empty. I, I remember uh, talking with him when he made the difficult but necessary decision to uh, close his business. Well, anyway, it's in the the building. I mean, if anybody wants to uh, get the uh, the building there in Westover, it's still available. That'd be a great place for one of those chicken sandwich shacks. Like, oh my uh, god! It's because the building is diagonal to the corner. It's not like facing, you know, uh, the street. It's uh, diagonal, so there's like a lot of room right in front. It would make a great drive-through, wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd make a, a wonderful drive-through. I just had to look up the story to find out because I couldn't remember exactly when he shut it down. Larry Bailey, Larry Bailey, was the pharmacist, and he operated the pharmacy at Seven Eleven Main Street. Wouldn't that be a great name for a convenience store? Seven oh Eleven. Actually, yes. they should open up instead of another pharmacy there. They should open up a convenience store at Seven Eleven Main Street in Westover and call it. 7-Eleven. I think there used to be jokes about 7-Elevens owned by by a certain... Yeah, well, you can't say that. Which I'm not going to No, I know, but that's... (laughs) I I know how people think, and sadly, that's how some people think. But anyway, the uh, pharmacy closed in April 2019, so that was about... Oh, in April of 2019? Yeah, a little less than four years ago. Wow. And... um, I remember how sad it is because, remember, there are so few independent pharmacies left in our area. And that was that was one of, not the, the end, not the absolute end, but there aren't many independent pharmacies, totally independent pharmacies. I know there's one in Endicott. In the one Union in District, Owego. And one in Owego, yeah. I was going to mention well, I, him. I remember when he came on the radio talking about, uh, I don't even know, remember what his name is, but uh, I was up at Tioga Gardens, uh, and they closed. Uh, their first day closed was January 1st. They're not going to open till probably Easter or something, in case anybody takes a ride up there. Uh, so I was uh, at Tioga Gardens, and I thought, well, I'll take a ride into uh, Owego. And that pharmacy, it's like a whole big building now. Uh, you know, it's it's a white building, and he takes up a lot of room, and he's got, his, I think it says Bob's Pharmacy or Bob, I'm sorry, <laughs> Bob's Pharmacy or something like that. And I'm just I mean, wondering if, we he, go. He, if he's yeah, right at the across the street from uh, across the road from the all those hotels that very yeah used to be the Treadway, and then they got yeah. sick of that name and they came up with even, another what funny is it name. Now? I don't even know. Who knows? They, I think it might be Red Roof. I can't keep track. They keep changing their name, but we know where those hotels are. But I, I think he still calls it the Owego Pharmacy. But the uh, the other story that I just remembered is uh, about two years ago, in March 2022, uh, the pharmacist who had, had run the Appalachian Pharmacy also shut down his place. I and, remember yeah, that. Yeah, it made me sad because he, um, he and his wife had operated that pharmacy for, for several years, and... And then, I guess, did you actually interview him? I, I'm thinking that you did. You happen to interview him because I, I do remember that story. Well, I did interview him off the air for a, a fairly detailed story. We never talked with him on air, but we did. Oh, that's what I thought. You yeah, did. because he had operated the pharmacy in Appalachian for almost three decades. 
Well, and that was a sad thing. But he he said there were insurance headaches, and the government was just government wouldn't make changes. Medicare and Medicaid fees were hurting his business, and plus he was having problems. Not so the competition from the big boys, CVS and Walgreens. He said that wasn't the biggest problem. He said the problems with Medicare and Medicaid fees uh, were were critical, and that's why he and his wife ultimately decided they they had to shut it down. Oh, uh, could I just make a comment about driving people? Do you know, when did we have that blizzardy snowstorm a few days before Christmas? Do you recall? You could barely see three car lengths in front of you. Right. It was on the Vestal Parkway. Yep, I remember. It was a few days before Christmas. Okay. this and, and, and when I go to Mass early in the morning, it's still dark out. There are people out there who have their head up their rear end and don't have their lights on. They're idiots. There were cars that did not have their lights on in the, in the snowstorm. I know. I saw someone driving around in that snowstorm. They scraped about as much off their windshield for two <laughs> little holes for their eyes. and, and like, then the, like an airplane windshield. Yes, it was crazy. Carol, I tell you, it was unbelievable. Thank you for your call. 1157, your friend Bob Joseph has heard on WNBF. Did you know? Joseph. This program has been a special presentation of News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM, 12:90 AM. It's 12 noon. This is WNBF Binghamton.